Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So you know the story about Saturday. It was a win for Georgia, but it was not a great performance. There were plenty of blemishes that showed up on the way towards Georgia winning this game against Kent State. Stayed undefeated, but I think the overall thought from a lot of fans was, you know, if Georgia were to play this way against somebody else, somebody that matters late in the season, maybe Georgia wouldn't be undefeated anymore. And for BA, all the talk you've had about hashtag go for two and 22, this didn't look on this particular Saturday like a team that was on its way towards a second national championship. This, to many folks, seemed like a team that has plenty to work on as it gets ready to go back into conference play this upcoming Saturday at Missouri and then kind of get into what really is the stretch run of the season coming up after that there were plenty of concerns being expressed by Georgia fans and I'm going to be the first to tell you we did this on the dog nation post game show on Saturday from the UGA bookstore and by the way I'm wearing my UGA bookstore shirt here today from my friends at Cutter and Buck but the point is we did this on Saturday and, and, and talked about this then that there were some real blemishes there were some real ugly spots for Georgia uh, some of it was maybe a lack of overall focus. Certainly plenty of it was turnovers. Some of it was some of the defensive things that you yourself have noticed and had been telling me about for a couple of weeks here. All of that kind of seemed to be on display in a game closer than it was supposed to be against Kent State. But here's the thing I think you need to also be aware of, too. While we're going to get very deep into where Georgia needs to get better, that's what the show is all about, after all. I think it's also important to note how Georgia is being perceived nationally after a game like this and it's actually a little bit different than you might think i think some of you were poised to see georgia drop from the number one spot either in the coaches poll or the ap poll after saturday that didn't really happen i think some of you were expecting to see georgia called out georgia exposed georgia to be dragged through the mud after the game against kent state was way closer than experts had said that it was going to be that didn't really happen either. Instead, something different seems to be taking place. To the extent that anyone's really talking about Georgia Kent State at all, it's not the Georgia team that's been criticized here. It's actually, in some respects, been the Georgia fans who've been criticized here for maybe having too high of a standard for performance for their team week to week that I don't want to say that Georgia fans have gotten spoiled, but some are suggesting that's at least a, a possibility here. One of the things I like to do on Mondays you know, I live in the Atlanta area. There's a radio station in uh, Birmingham, Alabama called WJOX. I think it's a good college football station, obviously Birmingham, uh, like the city I live in, Atlanta, and the state we all live in, Georgia. You know, just a big mecca for college football. So their radio station talks a good bit of college football. And I'm not, you know, I don't work for it. I don't endorse, you know, endorse it. But I do, you know, occasionally listen over there and hear what those guys kind of have going on. And uh, Greg McElroy, Cole Kubelik in the mornings, they interview Paul Feinbaum every Monday, too. And sometimes I'll kind of tune in and listen to that as I'm kind of driving into work or something. And so, the, especially in a day in which I want to see what people kind of outside Dog Nation are saying about Georgia, McElroy, who played at Alabama, works for ESPN, Cole, who played for Auburn, works for SEC Network, Paul Feinbaum, who's kind of a representative figure of a very sort of, you know, you know common denominator opinion as it relates to the SEC. You know, what are those folks saying about Georgia? Well, today, this morning on WJOX in Birmingham, 
Paul Feinbaum wasn't talking about the Georgia performance against Kent State. He was talking about the UGA fan reaction to the performance against Kent State. And this is at least worth considering as a data point here that, that maybe some of the, the, the frustration that Georgia fans have shown, some of the concern that Georgia fans have shown, maybe some of that is a little bit overblown. Don't take my word for this. Take Paul Feinbaum's word for this. WJOX in Birmingham this morning. Georgia fans just uh, not happy with the way that their team looked in a 39-22 win against Kent State. Yeah, so what? Uh, I, I mean, Alabama has been dealing with this, uh, you know, forever. Uh, but quit, quit getting hung up on on a game. I mean, you. I mean, Georgia fans right now, Cole, are in one of the most dismal stretches of football they're going to see in a long time, and uh, you, I. I so they, they, they played Kent State, okay. Well, uh, Missouri this week, um, was it Vanderbilt and Auburn or Auburn and Vanderbilt? However that stretch runs, uh, I mean, Georgia cumulatively is going to be favored by about a billion points over these next two to three weeks. And they're going, and you know, they'll, they'll have a good game and a bad game. Really, uh, they're not going to be tested. And, and Kent State just happened to be that team that caught Georgia on an early kick that they were not overly motivated and and Stetson made some mistakes and it doesn't mean one thing you're Paul Feinbaum there saying it doesn't mean one thing now I don't know that I go quite that far I, I think some of what we saw in the game on Saturday probably does mean something because some of the areas which Georgia wasn't great on Saturday are areas in which you were already telling me and I was certainly echoing you that probably weren't great to begin with remember we on Friday show talked about two lingering concerns for Georgia one of those is running game one of those is defense well guess what after Saturday those lingering concerns they linger a little longer here and I think you'll be talking about those you know more in the days to come and the weeks to come so I wouldn't go so far as Paul Feinbaum does to say the game doesn't matter at all but it is a reminder that for Georgia fans who are very focused on what happened against Kent State and very, in some cases, concerned that ah uh, maybe the perception of Georgia is going to change and all of a sudden people aren't going to think Georgia is as good as they thought Georgia was after three weeks, I think what you're left to conclude here is actually nobody was really watching the Georgia game at all. People just didn't really care. You know, it's just not interesting. Yeah, it was close to it was supposed to be, but it's not all that interesting to people who were you know, a, a little more plugged in what may have been happening between Florida and Tennessee or Arkansas and Texas A&M. They just weren't that into the Georgia story and all of this. And the other thing that Feinbaum kind of points out here, which I think is really true, is that, you know, this Kent State game for Georgia comes in a stretch where next week they're at Missouri, who's probably the worst team in the SEC. Georgia's nearly a 30-point favorite on the road. And then week after week, you know, Auburn's no good at all either. That's the game after that. That you are in this stretch right now where you just have a very hard time measuring how good you are based on the team that you're playing because Georgia's playing some less-than-stellar opponents these next few weeks. And for a lot of Georgia fans, this kind of speaks to their overall frustration with the home slate. You know, a lot of noon starts. uh, You're going to probably have more of those coming up. Uh, You know, a lot of, uh, you know, less-than-stellar opponents don't really get you all that excited. And all of a sudden now, for a couple of games in a row, you've had Georgia, as the saying goes, playing down to the level of its competition. That's what Paul, I think, is meaning there when he talks about kind of a dismal stretch for UGA. But overall, the game being some sort of harbinger of doom for Georgia, Paul Feinbaum says, no, that's not the way that I see it. And I think that it's at least worth considering that outside perspective. And if you don't believe Paul Feinbaum or you don't want to listen to Feinbaum, and you certainly would have plenty of reasons maybe not to want to, but if you don't want to, 
then maybe you might listen to Kirby Smart, who in his postgame press conference on Saturday wasn't nearly as alarmed by the bad game, and it was a bad game. He wasn't nearly as alarmed by the bad game as maybe some people thought he might be. Kirby Smart actually said, in a lot of ways, Georgia showed some improvement or at least set the groundwork for future improvement based on the game against the Golden Flashes. This was a little bit of a surprisingly positive spin from Kirby was from postgame on Saturday. Take a listen. We thought they were a really good football team, and uh, they, they, they proved that today. We also played the entire game without punting the ball once and uh, really had four turnovers uh, when you consider the, the fake punt included on that. So you're not going to grow up and mature. This was a growth week for us. We really talked about growth the entire week. I was very pleased with how our guys approached uh, the practice and the games and the leadership. Uh, I was really proud of how we came out in the second half and got a three and out, and then the offense had a great drive all the way down. We just didn't cash it in for a touchdown. So we had some costly penalties and turnovers that hurt us. Uh, but our team got better today, and that was the key for me to say, did our team get better today? And I can honestly say we played a good opponent and we got better. So isn't that a little bit more of a positive spin you might would have expected from Kirby? Our team got better. I think a lot of Georgia fans watching the game like, this team actually looks worse but Kirby says no I feel like we kind of got better today and then later on that press conference he was asked you know what was your message to the team in the in the locker room and once again given the chance to like pound his fist on the table and maybe this is all just for show maybe Kirby's just acting here but you know Kirby once again kind of took a little bit of a positive spin on it from the post-game press conference one more time on Saturday I told them I thought they played really hard and really physical, and they played a really good football team. And when you're honest with your team, they believe you. Like when you walk in on Monday and you say, hey, this team's really good. They might be better than we played. we got to practice well. And then they go practice well. Like I, they listen. And after the game, you're not going to go back and say, well, God, guys, this team stinks. No, I'm not. I'm not. Just, that's a good football team. They won their conference last year, and they got a really good conference. They played two other ranked teams really tough. I mean, I got a lot of respect for Kent State and the coach and the coaching job they do. So um, I'm not down about uh, where our guys play. If you turn the ball over four times, you're going to be in ball games like that. So we got we got to prevent that first. So a couple of things here, and obviously Smart knows this, but they didn't win their league. They played for their league. And Georgia didn't technically have four turnovers in the game. It had three, but Kirby's counting, as he said in the previous clip, the 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 allowing the fake punt is also a turnover. You're supposed to get the football, and you didn't. So he's sort of counting that as a turnover there. The other thing that Smart's not alluding to, which we all understand, is is that Georgia was projected to win this game on Saturday by more than 40 points. When you don't come close to accomplishing that, pretty clearly you played a bad game. And I'm not going to gaslight you here and pretend like Georgia didn't play a bad game on Saturday. It, it clearly did. Over the course of the rest of the show and the rest of this week, we're going to talk about some of the areas in which Georgia kind of needs to improve here. But in light of having played a bad game against Kent State, here is what I want to kind of sort of conclude this part of the show by saying. I'm not changing my mind on anything related to Georgia. You've heard me say a lot, hashtag go for two in 22. That's still on, y'all. We're still go for two in 22. Georgia's still going to make a big push towards a second national championship here in the year of 2022. That's not really changing. Also, you heard me say last week on Twitter and on the show that I think there's a chance this team in 2022 is better than the team in 2021. That's not changing either. And you say, well, B.A., how can that be the case? The answer to that question is simple. It's because the standard isn't perfection. Now, obviously, when you're coaching up and pushing players, then then you sort of act like it is. But in reality, we see this play out game after game, year after year, with team after team. The standard for greatness is not perfection. If that be the case, then last year's team wouldn't have been national champions because the 2021 version of Georgia, the national champions, was far from perfect. 
They played at least one bad offensive game against Clemson, probably played a second against Florida. They played a terrible defensive game against Alabama in the SEC championship, but ultimately came back from that to win the national title. And Georgia, had they not won the national title, it would have been Alabama who also, I think Bama fans themselves would tell you, they played awful in the Iron Bowl against Auburn, did not play great against LSU, lost a game to an average as grits Texas A&M team. They themselves weren't perfect either. So last year in the national championship, what you have? Two imperfect teams battling it out to see who was the best. And for Georgia, it's the same kind of deal here right now. Saturday proved they are imperfect. Shrug it off and say, oh, well, that doesn't mean we still can't be the best. Maybe even better eventually than Georgia was in 2021 and certainly a chance to still go for two here in 22. That mission is still on, but Saturday's game reminds you there is still some work that needs to be done. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. And glad to have you with us. No matter how you get to us today, live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, Radio Noon, Athens Sports Radio 96 The Ref, podcasts wherever you find them, including the worldfamousdognation.com. We are just happy to have you with us, no matter how you get to us. Uh, live on video all across all those platforms. The big thanks to our friends at Pella Window and Door of Georgia for making it all possible. You know, they can equip your house with energy-efficient windows and doors. It's fall now, kind of heading towards that time of year when you start to think, ooh, it's a little crisp and cool in the mornings, and it doesn't really last. It gets warm again before it's over with. So we're almost in that time of year where it's like you got the heat kind of in the, at the night and the morning time, and that air conditioning kind of in the afternoon time, and whichever you have, the heat on in the, in the sort of cold weather season or the AC on and kind of the warm weather season when you're spending big bucks on those energy bills and right now it seems like that stuff's super expensive when you're doing that you want that energy to stay inside your house where it's supposed to be that's what better windows and doors can help you do they also look better on the outside curb appeal is a big deal here. you want to be a good neighbor good looking house on the outside does that also you start thinking about hey one of these days i may want to sell this house that i live in right now and better curb appeal sort of better exterior appeal of your house gives you a chance to have better resale value in some cases uh that can be true there as well and that's what pella window and door of georgia can help provide for you you know survey after survey year after year pella window and door of georgia is really recognized as a brand leader here in the metro atlanta area folks know how quality the product is if you stop by and see them in their experience center in duluth kind of put your hands on the product you can see that there for yourself there too you can also have a no pressure consultation with one of those pella experts they can talk about the installation options available to you the wide array of products that you can choose from and really give you the information you need to understand that Pella Window and Door of Georgia is truly viewed to be the best. There's also great savings in place right now, too. A few more days would you take advantage uh, of no payments, no interest for 12 months, and 50% off qualifying installations. That's between now and September 30th, so I hope you'll do that. As I said before, stop by and see, see them right there in their Experience Center in Duluth, or check them out online, PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. That's PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. You can also give them a call, 678-638-1496. That's 678-638-1496. Pella Window and Door of Georgia is viewed to be the best. All right, we're going to get John Stinchcomb here in a moment. He's viewed to be our best when it comes to analysts on this program on Mondays. Always fun to get his perspective and opinion when it comes to Georgia football. We'll do that with him here in just a little bit. That'll be a good conversation. Before that, though, I do want to go around the doghouse here today, and it's assisted by our friends at AAA. Now, I told you about this on Friday's show, that it was really interesting to me to solicit a lot of fan opinions last week. We do a Q&A piece at Dog Nation each week called, called Gimme Five, where 
you know, people uh, send their questions in. We kind of answered the questions. And last week was kind of my turn to do it. And I got a lot of submissions. And it was amazing to me how many of those were related to some concerns that Georgia has on defense. And so I wanted to spend some time on Friday's show speaking about what had been spoken to me about people who were like, hey, B, are we sure this defense is elite? Are we sure this defense is, you know, all world right now? Only giving up 10 points coming into the game, but, you know, concerned with this and concerned with that and concerned with, you know, on and on it goes. And the point that I made in response to that on Friday was, going into the game that if you look at the yards per play allowed number this is simply the total yards that Georgia's you know given up divided by the number of plays the defense has been on the field for that the yards per play number through three games was already higher than it was last year going into Saturday's game it was like 4.25 whereas last year for the full season was just 4.1 and what I said was given the fact that Georgia was at that 4.1 number after having played Alabama twice, Michigan, who had the Broyles Award winner, an offensive coordinator in the college football playoff, and you know a team like Tennessee, which is a pretty high-powered offense, that after having played all of that, Georgia was only at 4.1, and yet before Georgia really got into the stretch of playing its best offenses in 2022, they were already at a higher yards per play number. What I told you on Friday was, you can go back and listen to the show if you missed it, what I told you on Friday was, is, is this is a defense that is destined to give up more yards than last year's team did and if you give up more yards eventually you'll also give up more points too that that's kind of what's ongoing for Georgia right now and some of that was reflected in how the game against Kent State played out and so the question you have to ask yourself is well what do you do about that you know what do you do about a defense that right now is going to be a little bit more or I should say a little bit less stingy than last year's defense was what do you do about that well here's a couple things that would help right away get Jalen Carter back fully healthy right now he's not a little bit of chatter about the idea that maybe Mikael Williams is banged up a little bit too that's only a freshman but he's an impact player even at such a young age having him fully healthy and able to play you know the entirety of the game that's also going to be really important as well but beyond that there's this you know Saturday was a good day for Georgia when it comes to sacks I believe it had three tackles for loss I believe it had five they're a little bit more aggressive in the backfield than they've been you know so far this season and I still think that's something they're going to need a lot more of as the year progresses. What do you do when you're allowing more positive plays than you're used to allowing? You've got to have more negative plays to counterbalance that. That's just going to be really, really important. This is one of those areas in which I think that Kirby Smart's going to kind of need to take his own advice a little bit. I want to go back in time for a couple of weeks. In the post-game press conference against Oregon, after the Oregon game, Kirby Smart said something that like really stuck out to me. He was asked about, you know, kind of what he wanted to see from his team today. And there was a word that he used several times that I think needs to matter here right now. Like, what do you do with a defense that just is not quite you know, when you add all the pieces together, exactly what Georgia had in 2021, I think the response to that is you've got to be aggressive with how you use these players to make up for the fact that you can't just stand there and just wallop people on a per play basis the way that you did in the past. And as I said before, aggressive and being aggressive, calling aggressive games is something that Kirby talked about a lot after the Oregon game. And now defensively, I think he sort of needs to take his own advice or challenge his coaches 
to, to once again be that version of what he said he saw after the Oregon game. Let me let you hear Kirby from Oregon, and we'll kind of spin this forward for what happens next for UGA. Here he is challenging the entire program to be as aggressive as possible. Here's Kirby. I want to come out and play aggressive. And I told our team, I don't care about the results of the game. I don't care about any. All I care about is did you come out and play aggressive? And we tried to make it really simple. And I thought they came out and played aggressive. I thought we called the game aggressive. I thought Coach Munkin, I thought Coach Schumann did a tremendous job with both their staffs. Our staff is the best it's ever been. We've got a great staff right now, and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's awesome because we've got you know, a great – we've always had good staff, but we've got a really – great staff right now in terms of in guys enjoying to work together and putting plans together and I thought they did a great job of doing that let me try to make a very succinct point here for a moment there are three facets to building a great college football team you have to acquire talent you have to develop talent and then you have to successfully deploy that talent an audience like this folks who really are plugged into college football everybody understands the importance of acquiring talent that's done through recruiting or transfer portal or whatever else and everybody understands that hey you've got to get elite players elite athletes into your program that's the name of the game and while you may every now and then get lucky and have a walk-on who surprises you and becomes really good while you benefit from it you can't count on it and therefore you've got to be winning with the four and five star guys you've got to be attractive you know to the handful of transfers you might want to bring in you've got to be really good at acquiring talent everybody knows that georgia does that when it comes to the other two parts of building a great team developing talent and deploying talent if you listen to kirby smart press conferences i would say that like 90 something percent of the time that smart spends talking is kind of talking in one of those silos around player development so and so's got to get better we got to do this you know you know a lot of the chatter around smart is about the player development part and that is really important pretty clearly georgia's good at that when you see 15 players drafted off last year's team the player development part is really important i would say publicly smart seems a lot less comfortable talking about the player deployment part how you use those talented players how aggressive you choose to be he doesn't like talking about that very much for for whatever reason um but when it comes to what is going to be at stake for Georgia moving forward, the way in which you use the talent you have and the talent that you've developed is going to be the name of the game. This defense for Georgia isn't like it was in 2021. doesn't mean it's worse. It's just different. It's going to give up probably more yards and probably eventually more points there as well. That's just a fact. But you can counterbalance that by how you deploy this talent. When Jalen Carter's back fully healthy again, can you turn him loose? Can you be aggressive to allow him to make game-wrecking plays for the opposition? When Mikael Williams, who I think is kind of one of those players there as well, he's a game changer for you. When you know when he's you know full go, and, and you know can you be aggressive with him and allow him to get after quarterbacks? Can you dial this up for Nolan Smith or really any handful of players you think this defense has that are true game wreckers, that are true game changers in terms of what they do? Are you willing to turn it loose, let them be aggressive, and create the sacks and tackles for loss that you're going to have to have to counterbalance the fact that there's just more positive yards being given up by your defense than you saw there in 2021? To me, that's the story for the Georgia defense moving forward. They're going to have to be more aggressive. They're going to have to keep finding a way to dial up sacks, tackles for loss, But because when it comes to positive rushing yards given up, positive passing plays given up, there's probably just going to be more of that. And eventually that's going to get, you know, lead to more points being given up too. 
But this can still be the best defense in the country, and it can still be a defense fully capable of leading Georgia to a national championship. But how that the dogs coaching staff deploys that talent is going to matter. They're going to have to be aggressive. This is going to be one of those instances where Smart needs to take his own advice based on what he said after the Oregon game. And that is around the doghouse. It is uh, assisted today by our friends at AAA. And of course, we're so happy to have AAA a part of what we do here around here. And we know AAA for so many things. I'm driving a lot. On Friday night, I was in Douglas County. Then the next morning, back in Athens. That's a lot of miles in the car. And you're always thinking about, you know, something may go wrong while you're driving. Well, guess what? I've always got my AAA membership card in my pocket. If something does happen, I know I can get, you know, fixed up and taken care of and back on my way again very soon. That's kind of what AAA is known for. But I want you to know them for something else there as well. I want you to know them for insurance products there, too. Specifically today, I want to talk to you about the auto insurance. They are the roadside experts, but they've been in the insurance business here for more than 100 years there as well, uh, taking good care of folks, too. And they've got a 93% satisfaction rate. That means they're taking really good care of customers just like you each and every day. They're obviously doing something right, and they can do something right for you there as well. They can potentially save you hundreds of dollars when you switch to AAA, and they can give you a great customer experience there, too. So give them a call. 833. 833- 833-718-2075. That's 833-718-2075. You can find a AAA insurance uh, agent and a branch near you, and you can make a great decision to get your insurance through AAA and be well taken care of when it comes to your auto coverage. All right, we've got a lot to do uh, still today on, on, on the show. Believe it or not, there were actually some good things in the game on Saturday. We're going to get to one of those before we're done. We'll get into the Javon Bullard situation here uh, a little bit, too. want to make sure we mention that. And want to react to a lot of the stuff that happened away from Georgia in the SEC and around college football on Saturday. At least one thing we said would happen did happen, and it has an impact on Georgia. We will uh, tell you about that before we're all said and done. But for now, more on the dogs. What needs to be fixed after Kent State? What's actually still okay? And everything else as Georgia gets ready to go through a stretch run in the SEC coming up on Saturday at Missouri. Let's talk to John Stinchcomb right now here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. So we'll say hello to John Stinchcomb, always a measured voice. Very important to have guys like that on the show. And, you know, John, I think when you listen to a lot of Georgia fans, and I heard these Saturday in our Dog Nation post game show at the UGA Bookstore, and you hear some of that in our comment section here today, uh, I think there is this thought that Georgia didn't play very well on Saturday. And I think it's important for me to say that's true. I'm not going to sugarcoat this. I thought Georgia did play a pretty lousy game to be honest with you and kind of more ways than one i'll also add to that that doesn't necessarily in fact it doesn't change my overall look for this team still think they can be the best in the country this year they may even when it's all said and done be better than the team from a year ago but there were a couple of instances on saturday where you were reminded oh there is work that needs to be done what was your overall takeaway from the dogs against the golden flashes I think everybody was expecting a three-quarter game, right? We were expecting by the middle of the third quarter, folks are emptying the stadium because it's in hand. And, and players, in the back of their mind, whether they'll admit it or not, have that same approach. And it's hard when you start off a game with a muff punt, uh, an interception, and things just aren't going your way. Your way. Now, it, the first play offensively couldn't have gone any better, and it just goes to show – the true special talent that Brock Bowers is when he can take a uh, jet sweep the distance on the very first play for 75 yards. And I think that's the, that was the tone setter that everyone expected, and then it wasn't backed up by 
uh, the rest of that performance. So is this an indicator of, you know, that concern? Should Georgia fans think that, you know, maybe this team isn't what we thought it would be? No. I, I mean, when you get ready for a Kent State game, it's much different than when you get ready for an SEC championship or a playoff game. Mentally, and it's it's a different challenge. And I think when you're looking at these top ten teams right now, top five specifically, you want to see what's best versus best. Because we know that if a team that that goes out there and doesn't play their best, and, and you've got a, a wide receiver who you've counted on for a number of weeks, just play uh, arguably one of his worst games, you're going to probably lose those games. But I don't think that's what uh, I don't think that this game against Kent State is an indicator that uh, Georgia's best is any worse than what we thought it was. They still are the number one team in the country, and rightfully so. I think that's uh, very well said and very interesting. And for a second consecutive week, John, I find myself talking to you about the fact that hey, to make it appear that you have as robust a rushing attack as you need. You've had to bring in non-running backs into the fold. You know, last week it was quarterback. It was a little bit of Lad McConkey. Once again, it's kind of you know uh, Brock Bowers again here this week. And on the one hand, great that you have an offensive coordinator who's capable of dialing up those plays. Great that you've got talent capable of executing those plays. But when you really kind of isolate, you know, running backs in running situations. That's an area for Georgia that I think is below the standard that we're used to seeing from UGA and probably below the standard of what's needed in the SEC right now. Now, you still got, you know, two-thirds of a regular season to change all that, but that's an area right now where Georgia, I believe, is just coming up short. And and I think that's a fair assessment. I think we've seen enough of a body of work through the first quarter of the season practically to know that – the, the rushing attack, and that's a combination of running backs and offensive line, isn't um, the same of what what we've come to know. We don't have the the studs that that we once had. It's there's not a Nick Chubb, Sony Michelle, DeAndre Swift um, type back in that backfield. And you know, I I, I don't want to crack on folks unduly, but let's let's also recognize that. Um, this rushing attack isn't what what it has been in the past. And uh, running backs do need to bear some of that brunt, and some of that is responsible, uh, falls to the responsibility of the offensive line, and, and they work in conjunction. But um, I think that's a fair assessment. Through, through these three games, we haven't seen you know breakout runs. We haven't seen the, the, the broken tackles. And, um, you know, right now, if, if we're being honest with each other, Dejon Edwards looks like the the lone back that, when given the opportunity, um, is trying to make the earth not trying. I think they're all trying, but is making the most of, of what he's been given. So um, I don't think we have that star running back that, that we're used to, and that's reflected in the ways that Munkin and this offensive staff are trying to create uh, in the run game. Let me make a weird comparison for a moment. Saturday reminded me a little bit of after Georgia lost to Texas in the Sugar Bowl when Georgia fans were beside themselves. They're so mad that in some cases they'd spent money to go to New Orleans to see the team play so bad or B that it kind of reflected this huge level of like program regression that you you know you couldn't go out there and beat you know some average team like you know Texas 
And like the national media, for the most part, just sort of shrugged it off. We had, you know, guests that came on this show. They're like, yeah, Georgia's still going to be fine. And that's a game that doesn't really matter. And Georgia fans themselves were like wanted the team held to a higher standard than that. They wanted like the media to like rip Georgia in some cases. And the media just kind of wouldn't. Uh, a lot of people were like, yeah, you know, it's just a bowl game. You know, a lot of opt-outs, whatever else. And it was one of those things where like, like people who were like hardcore Georgia fans were actually more upset with Georgia than people kind of outside the bubble of Dog Nation kind of were about that. And a little bit Saturday was kind of the same thing. I think there were some people that wanted to see Georgia taken to task for for not, you know, having its best effort, not being fully focused on Kent State. There were, you know, people talking about Georgia dropping from number one in the polls or whatever else. And it's interesting to me to watch people kind of outside of our little sphere here who just sort of shrug it off. They didn't watch the game. They didn't really care the fact that it was all that, you know, you know, a little bit closer than it was supposed to be. Georgia did not come down from number one in either of the two official polls. A lot of prominent voices just sort of saying that, eh, you know, it kind of happens from time to time. Isn't it interesting that, that you know, I think sometimes from 10,000 feet, you almost get a clearer picture of what's going on here. And for the Georgia fan who I'm the same way here, you know, I was not happy on Saturday and expressed some of my concerns about that. But people who were less plugged in overall didn't seem to be as bothered by what they saw as you know people who are as deeply entrenched as UGA as, as one can be. A little bit of an interesting divide in, in, in terms of that opinion, isn't it? Yes, and uh, you know I, I was there and had the burnt face to prove it on Saturday <laughs> and witnessed a, a Georgia performance that you know it was it was far below where the bar has been set and. Uh, you know, I, I admire teams like Kent State that come and know that their chance of victory is pretty low, and, and they come and put forth their best effort and have done so. You know, you look at their their competition this season, and that's week in and week out for them. So um, the mentality for Georgia has been the expectation to win no matter what, and, and uh, there comes a time where mentally you go into those games and uh, you, you don't think you have to give your best because you're a superior team for all intents and purposes. And um, on Saturday, they were the superior team and did not play exceptionally well. And I think for fans across the board, you have to recognize that throughout a season, not every game is going to be perfect. And it's different NFL from college because in the NFL – I think the margins are a lot smaller, but also there, there's a little bit of cushion there. There's no expectation that a team's going to go undefeated all year long, and and when they do lose, it's not like, well, this is uh, this team is worse than we thought. It, it just happens. So you look at the top 10 teams, really the top 25 this season in early on, there's been a lot of uh, top 10 ranked teams that have lost to unranked teams. And I think that goes to show that you don't always play your best ball week in and week out. And for Georgia to not have played their best game on Saturday and still come away with a uh, two-score victory uh, is a good thing. And you do need some of those games where you don't play well, you still end up with a win, and you're moving towards your objectives at the end of the year. So um, not not one of those travesties that some folks make it out to be yeah along those lines let me tell you what the one i guess kind of concern that i do have and you know saturday i think unearths this a bit and i talked about it before you joined it's a lot of fans have been expressing this for a couple of weeks too 
is that this Georgia defense is going to be different than last year's team was. We knew five first round picks had to be replaced, and you know you have a lot of you know kind of newer faces, you know, in in, in kind of new places. I talked about in the inside linebacker spot how you know when you see the greatness of Kobe Dean, the greatness of Rokon Smith, that greatness kind of emerged for both those guys in year three, and you're talking about you know guys playing right now who are just less experienced than that. That you wouldn't see that level of greatness even from guys like Jamon Dumas Johnson, who eventually may be that good, but in year two you probably just won't see that from them right now. And so far, it seems like that's kind of true. This is a Georgia defense that's just going to be a little less stingy when it comes to yards and eventually probably points as last year's team was and to me John that puts an onus on this Georgia coaching staff to really identify who your game-changing players are when he's healthy Jalen Carter's one of those I believe that Mikael Williams is probably one of those I think Malachi Starks may be one of those guys too you got a handful of guys that really are you know game wreckers for the opposition and John I think you're gonna have to dial it up and be as aggressive as you possibly can with them to make up for the fact that you're not going to just maul people defensively on a per play basis the way that you did last year. Now, I'm not an X's and O's expert, so I don't really know what deploying these guys aggressively. I can't draw that up on a chalkboard, but it's also one of those things of don't tell me about the birth pains, just show me the baby. You're going to have to get <laughs> you're going to have to get the most out of your true game changers because you know, on on the basis of sort of one through eleven, this is a little bit of a different kind of Georgia defense than it was last year. Yeah, and, and where I see it is, and it's probably not reflected in the stats, but I think the biggest change, the biggest challenge for this Georgia defense, is the interior of the defensive line in the run game. And when you can't, you know, when you lose a guy like Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt in the middle, um. And, you know, Trayvon Walker factors in that a little bit in this equation. But when you can't stop a interior run game, then you start changing the shape of your defense a little. And, and you're trying to say, it, week in and week out, you, that's where I think it starts, is being able to stop the run game and, and being able to play physical in the middle. And when we watch that Kent State game, you know, they have one long touchdown on a single receiver screen that, you know, breaks outside and you go, well, that's a, that's a fluky deal. But when Kent State and really throughout the season, when they've been able to get some movement on first and second down and, and not be behind on the sticks, um, it, it's come from not having that suffocating presence of a Jordan Davis in the middle that stops the run game. And so... You change the shape a little bit. You bring another guy down into the box. They're trying to uh, compensate for for that, and it, it it changes your ability to call a defense. And I think that's speaking or getting to the point that you're making is you're going to have to be more aggressive because the personnel is different, and recognizing the challenges that that presents when you don't have. You know, Jordan Davis is in the game, and you know that the team's thinking, well, we're not running between the tackles. That's just not happening today. Georgia doesn't have that. And so you're having to compensate a little bit. And like we've talked before, when you, uh, when you aim at something, when, when you, for every play, for every play call, for every concept, there's pros and cons. You know, you're, you're trying to stop something, but it comes at a cost. So it's the same thing with techniques. You know, if, if I'm playing tackle and I 
aggressively set on a guy, uh, I'm taking that battle to him a lot further from the quarterback. But if you if you set quick, then then you can lose pretty quick too, and it can get get ugly. So it's that you know risk reward cost benefit equation that you're always balancing, and it's no different for a coordinator who's looking out there and saying, all right, do we need to sacrifice or, or risk in other areas to create more? And for this defense, I. I don't think it's going to be quite as suffocating, but uh, I think their hope is to create more turnovers, and we have seen that up to this point. All right, so over the course of the next eight weeks, a span of seven games, Georgia's going to play nothing but SEC teams. I'm trying to think fans are ready for that. You know, no disrespect to the group of five or the FCS or even like the Pac-12. I think that Georgia fans are just ready to see a run through the SEC here. And, you know, like Missouri this Saturday and Auburn after that, neither one of those teams are very good. But you know what? You know, Florida is going to be able to do some things. That's going to present a little bit of a challenge to Georgia. Certainly Tennessee sets up as kind of the marquee home game on the slate here this year. You know, still too early to know what you make of Kentucky as of yet, but you know, Mississippi State on the road. Like, we're, we're about to learn a lot more about Georgia over the course of the next couple of months here. And I, I guess kind of give me a thought about that as you kind of get ready to move into kind of nothing but an SEC play for the foreseeable future. One, I think it's laughable that Auburn has become a basketball school. And <laughs> I'll, I'll just revel in that fact for a little bit. Uh, but I, I think it'll it'll raise the competition for Georgia and ratchet up the focus and actually be a really good motivator. Probably, you know, Missouri-Auburn doesn't strike fear in the hearts of anyone, but uh, the old rivals in the east of Tennessee and Florida um, and, a, and a talented yet how do you really uh, evaluate Kentucky and, and figure out where they're at? Um, those are three teams and three games that Georgia fans will learn a lot about this team and, and what we're all about. And we've seen flashes and, quite honestly, one of the best week one performances from any team coming out of uh, that game. And it's going to be how many times can, can Georgia replicate that? And, um, this is the part of the season that gets really exciting because it's all conference football, and we all know that the SEC is, is the best conference in, in sports. So it should make for a, a good stretch of the season and entertaining football. John, uh, great stuff. I, I just appreciate your perspective here in each and every day. Let me do one more thing real quick. There was also an athletic board meeting over the weekend, I believe, there as well. Anything, I, I guess, that you think our audience needs to know? Obviously, you're on the athletic board. Anything from that meeting that, that you think the Georgia fans need to be aware of? Well, one, it was really good to see Connor there looking all professional. He was uh, looking sharp, had his button down on. Very his impressive. Hair looking really nice, uh-huh. representing the dog nation really well. Uh, but for Georgia, it's, it, it, I still marvel at the fan support. So they've started a $300 million campaign and um, over the next few years, and $65 million has already been raised towards that effort. And, you know, obviously helps when you win a national championship. But, um, you know, there's so many loyal uh, dog fans. Uh, Brian Satisky was out there mentioned for – uh, his support of the mental health program, which is growing and trying to provide good mental health care for the student athletes. And um, it's just, it's really a great time to be a dog. You're coming out of COVID and a lot of these programs have 
been in a much different spot financially as where Georgia is. And so to see the continued support and then the direction of facilities, um, obviously a, a new indoor facility for the tennis program and uh, renovations to Sanford Stadium, which uh, I think will improve fan experience and uh, just overall facilities, especially on that that side of the stadium. So a lot of really good, positive uh, movement uh, across the athletic department that Georgia fans can be uh, really proud of. Great to hear, John. Thanks for your representation on that board, and thanks for your insight into uh, those discussions. And uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again here next week on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window in Dorf, Georgia. Always enjoy it, B.A. Go dogs. Yes, sir. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. All right, nice to hear that from John Stinchcomb there. Great uh, insight into the UGA Athletic Board. That's a that's a body that John is a part of, and obviously it's nice for us to have such a sophisticated member of like the inner circle of uh, Georgia Athletics here on this show each and every week. John's a great guy, and we appreciate his insight into all of that. What is it? Less pleasant of a topic, but I just do want to just sort of squeeze this in real quick. I don't have a ton on Javon Bullard getting arrested over the weekend. We're not going to like hide from discussing it it happened uh suspicion of dui is the charge here on that um i I don't really know like what the response from georgia on this is going to be i'm presuming that kirby today when he does his press conference will say that the discipline will be handled internally i'm sure there's somebody somewhere that knows exactly you know how much time he's expected to miss for this if any i I just am not uh i just don't remember i I don't really care all that much but i mean bullard's a, a big time player he's an important part of this georgia defense but, you know, I just don't get that into, like, you know, having a big grandstanding opinion on this. But I will say this, though. Like, I'm in my 40s now, and so I see, you know, situations like this a little bit different than maybe I would have in the past because I can envision a time in which one day my kids will be around the same age, too. And I think I speak for, you know, parents and, like, adults, coaches, whatnot. Like, it's really hard to convince young people of this one thing, which is that life is obviously unfair. And one of the specific ways that the unfairness of life shows up in that, you can make a decision in a matter of seconds that can impact your life for decades. And this is kind of one of those things that I do take drinking and driving pretty seriously. That's the uh, the uh, allegation against Bullard here. So I take that seriously. And I hope that he learns from this the way that a lot of young folks kind of learn in this stage of their life. That just You can't do stuff like that. You know, uh, that's, that's dangerous. It's putting yourself at risk. It's putting other people at risk. And that's a terrible thing to have to live with for the rest of your life. It's putting your entire future at risk. And I get it. You know, people say, well, kids are going to be kids, whatever. But there is a moment in which a kid does something, air quotes around the, the idea of being a kid, that puts their adult life in jeopardy. And you just got to be careful about that. And it's really, really hard to send that message and have it be effectively received but it's one of those important things to consider. So that's the, the uh, allegation against Bullard. He was arrested. Georgia will handle it internally. Uh, Bullard's going to be an important player for Georgia here this season. You get him back playing football again. But decisions like this matter, and they carry more weight and more risk than sometimes uh, folks realize. So always the challenge of being an adult, trying to get that message across. And generation after generation, it never seems to get any easier on that front that said let's transition here to a much happier topic and that is being on the high seas with royal caribbean can't wait to be doing all of that with you come april and of course we're cruising around the sec with royal caribbean here right now and 
you know, uh, talking to some folks who are getting on those Royal Caribbean cruise ships and the fun, the excitement they have around all of that. And it reminds me, and I, in fact, last night I was talking to uh, my wife about this. We're looking forward to being in December on board Wonder of the Seas. And, you know, I love the fact that not only is it a great cruise ship experience, for me, it's a great chance to be on a ship I've never been on before. Wonder is a really kind of a brand new ship. Uh, it's the largest cruise ship in the world right now. It's actually about to have a permanent home, or at least for the foreseeable future, permanent home there at Port Canaveral, short drive from where I am here in the Atlanta area. And I'm looking forward to being on board, looking forward to encouraging you to uh, take a cruise on a ship like that there as well. Love the big, massive cruise ships. But there's also things to be said about some of the other uh, ships in the fleet for Royal Caribbean there as well. Sometimes when you're on one of the smaller ships, I think what's cool about some of the smaller ships is, A, for someone who's never cruised before, you know, sometimes being on a little a ship that's a little bit smaller, a little bit easier maybe to kind of navigate if you're not quite used to experience, but also the ships themselves have a chance to sometimes visit more exotic ports. And that's one of the things that's kind of fun to think about when it comes to some of the smaller ships in the fleet. And I don't say small, I mean, just smaller than the very biggest of the big. That's one of the things that Royal Caribbean provides. We're going to be on Independence of the Seas, the Dog Nation cruise coming up. And that's a great experience there as well. It's kind of the best of both worlds in a lot of that. We're visiting Nassau in the Bahamas. We're visiting Perfect Day, Coco Cay. It's just going to be so much fun. So if you go to the website, royaldogs.com, that's royaldogs.com, a website set up specifically by our friend Jessica Slater. She's the travel agent that Royal Caribbean has specially selected to help book this Dog Nation cruise for us. So if you'll give her a call, 770-718-9147, that's 770-718-9147. You can find out all about it, all the great things going on with the second annual Dog Nation cruise here, the second ever Dog Nation cruise. Jessica's going to help you out with that. You can visit her website, royaldogs.com. It'll give you all you need to know. And then I'll see you on board because we are going to have a great time. All right, we have a lot of work to do here because we've got to cover a lot of the games from this weekend and kind of what it means from the perspective of a UGA fan here. Let me start with Tennessee and Florida. And one of the things you may notice from time to time around here is, is that when we talk about a lot of these other games, we kind of do it sometimes through the lens of the point spread and kind of the, I guess, the gambling factor on this. And that's true for us, even though we know that many of you don't bet on the games, don't have any plans of betting on the games. That's not important to you. But the reason why sometimes I think the point spread is interesting is because I do think it gives you a little bit of a perspective on how the game was played. It sets an expectation for what should happen, and then we can kind of judge when the game is over based on what did happen. And I think the Tennessee-Florida game is the perfect example of that. On the one hand, Tennessee's undefeated, and that's a pretty big deal. On the other hand, I don't know that Tennessee has really done anything to exceed expectations that we had about them before the year began. We thought they were going to be pretty good, but you may remember in the kind of offseason leading into the start of the season, what we said was, hey, can you take games that you're supposed to win by seven and can you find a way to win them by two touchdowns? Can you take a game that you're supposed to win by double digits and actually win by like, say, 17 points? Can you extend yourself based on the expectations that are going to be in place for you? And thus far, Tennessee kind of hasn't done it. It won on the road at Pitt, but it had to have overtime to do so. And frankly, it had to come back from a deficit in order to get that happen. You know, Saturday against Florida was supposed to be a little bit of a crowning achievement. Uh, supposed to be, you know, game day on hand, big national TV audience. And certainly the, the atmosphere and the crowd was all, you know, great. And Tennessee obviously got to win something it has not done much against Florida in the last decade plus. But overall, I think that Tennessee actually was kind of beneath expectations in this game. So I think as you move into the second month of the season, I think you move into that month still trying to figure out exactly what Tennessee is. This is a team that's got a chance to win 10 games. They're going to lose to Georgia. They're going to lose in all likelihood to Alabama. They may beat everybody else. 
And yet, I'm still not quite so sure what that means because there's a chasm of difference between the two best teams that Tennessee plays and virtually everybody else. No doubt that Josh Heupel, I believe, is doing a good job with the Vols. But when you use the point spread as your guide, you know, supposed to win by double digits on Saturday, not doing that against uh, against Florida, I think you're sort of left to conclude that uh, Tennessee actually left a little bit of food on the table, uh, a little bit of money on the table against the Gators here this week. And so from a perspective of expectations Tennessee's actually a little bit underneath what I expected from them here to begin this year although we did call the Florida cover you'll remember that going back to the last week another team that's eh, here right now and that's Auburn Auburn and we told you this going to the Penn State game last Saturday they're just really bad and I don't think that folks realized how bad they were going into Penn State we told you they were gonna get blown out they did and they struggled to beat Missouri on Saturday. And that's actually a little bit surprising because Missouri is even worse than Auburn is. And now Auburn's down kind of what its fourth quarterback. You know, you've lost Finley, you've lost Calzada. Although I guess there's a chance that maybe Calzada might have a chance of coming back. Uh, some folks saying that he may not be quite as hurt as as once anticipated. Although I still don't quite know how much Auburn even wants to play him. Um, you know, obviously Robbie Ashford now banged up too. There's a chance you may be going to Holden Grainer, the uh, kid from uh, Benedictine, uh, you know, who signed with Auburn this past year. But beyond that, at quarterback, they're just not good. And, like, it's just one way or another, one of these days, you know, Harson's going to get fired. He's just beneath the standard of what's required in the SEC, and the boosters this time are going to get to pick the coach they want. This was an ugly game. It was it was not well played by either side. Uh, I think, you know, obviously Missouri's a team that you don't typically have a lot of expectations for. But I would say that Eli Drinkwitz right now is below even that. This was not a pretty display of SEC football, and it ironically is the next two opponents for Georgia. And so I'm not quite so sure while Georgia will have you know SEC play in front of it the next couple of weeks, I'm not quite so sure the overall level of play they're going to be facing from the opposition is all that much better than what it saw from Kent State. In fact, it might not be better at all. But Auburn was not pretty in its win against Missouri on Saturday. And there would seem to be the winds of change blowing around the Auburn program here at some point in time. Speaking of point spreads, I thought that the uh, Arkansas-Texas A&M game was fascinating from that standpoint because last week A&M was a two-point favorite. And pretty much everybody I knew, myself included, all thought that Arkansas was the right side to be on in this game. It was bizarre that A&M was favored when Arkansas was clearly the better team. Well, what happens during the game? You have the moment in which K.J. Jefferson is trying to extend the football to score a touchdown. Ball comes loose. It gets taken back for an A&M touchdown. That's a 14-point swing in the game. You have the very odd field goal situation at the end of the game in which the kick for Arkansas hits the upright. There's also some chatter here. You know, One of the controversial things around the Arkansas program is the fact they play so many games away from Fayetteville. For years, they've played a home game every year in Little Rock because that's kind of the population center for the state. Arkansas fans don't like that, and they've played in Jerry World against A&M every year too. One of their big boosters, Jerry Jones, uh, of course, uh, is the owner of the Dallas Cowboys. That's kind of the genesis of all that. And so NFL stadiums, the the uprights are taller because that's just kind of what the NFL does. And so the thought here is, had you been playing in an on-campus stadium with shorter uprights, the kick wouldn't have doinked off the upright. It might have just kind of gone over and been considered a good kick. So some Arkansas fans are using the doinked kick as proof they shouldn't be playing in any more NFL stadiums. They're going to probably change this eventually anyway. It seems like that's the overall movement around the Arkansas program, but that's kind of been discussed. The point here, though, is after everybody in the world said, oh, Arkansas is you know, clearly the right side, they're clearly the better team, 
you have the dramatic 14 point swing the three points that arkansas doesn't get uh from the field goal and then lo and behold texas a&m which, which was uh predicted to win by two points wins the game by two points landing exactly on the number uh just really really fascinating sometimes how all that works out now a little deeper on this for a moment you know i think the coaching point here at least what's been told to me is for a guy like jefferson trying to extend the football that hey in that spot that's not something you're supposed to try to do that there are plenty of coaches that just don't teach it that way don't extend the football unless it's the absolute last final play of the game because you open yourself up for the uh you know for the fumble here and that's you know kind of what jefferson did there in that moment i think also and i love sam Pittman. most of our audience does here too but i think there's also a little bit of something to be said for the fact that they got pretty conservative late kind of playing for that field goal as opposed to you know maybe being a little bit more aggressive saving timeouts trying to score a touchdown and then you know giving themselves a chance on the other side defensively if the kick doesn't go in so a little bit of an odd situation for Pittman there at the end of the game and then keep your eye on this for A&M yes their offense is pretty wretched and even Saturday Max Johnson's overall numbers weren't quite so good but if you shake off and overlook the upset lost Appalachian State here for a moment last three games for A&M against top 10 competition they've won all three and that's what Arkansas was there on Saturday and obviously some of this dates back to last year against Alabama but three straight wins on the field straight up for the Aggies against top 10 teams so at least consider that that while the offensive stuff isn't being close to figured out uh is it Devon A-Chain is that how you say his name uh that's a pretty good looking running back right now so maybe the Aggies are in the midst of kind of figuring some stuff out as they head into the stretch run of their own season and then finally there's this uh Texas I told you before they're the college football version of cosplay they are just pretenders they look like college football but they can't go out there and actually function like college football they got beat by Texas Tech and that's the last we'll probably speak about them until the next Texas is back iteration which is certainly only a few months away Oklahoma also upset there as well and Oklahoma I swear you know I'm not as deeply entrenched in the Big 12 as I am the SEC it seems like they lose to Kansas State every year do they it it seems like I don't care who the coach is who the quarterback is it seems like Oklahoma loses to Kansas State every dadgum year and this is another example of that and so Oklahoma was a team that I was pretty high on and I don't quite know like where this leaves them on the other side of all of that the ex-Oklahoma coach Lincoln Riley went into Corvallis got a win against uh, Oregon State but as we told you lower scoring game than the experts were calling for maybe a little closer than the experts were calling for there as well so USC stays undefeated and had to earn it on the road there at uh, Oregon State Uh, Clemson you know they beat wake forest but this is not a team right now at the same level of the very best teams in the country they're just not extending themselves enough from their acc competition for me to believe that's true the game against wake forest i think stands as proof of that one final point here and then we'll get ready to kind of move on to us the georgia bulldogs once again but i told you last week that i really felt like one of the things that had been interesting around georgia was all of the attention being paid to UGA and all the praise that George was getting that some of that was simply a byproduct of really nobody else in the national level had asserted themselves at all you know Alabama hadn't played very well against Texas Ohio State hadn't played very well against Notre Dame Clemson hadn't played very well against uh, Georgia Tech week one 
you know, you had other teams that just flat out lost, that, that there really hadn't been a lot of national stories as of yet. And so Georgia was getting a lot of hype and attention last week because it was one of the few nationally elite teams that had played very well through three weeks that we said eventually somebody else was going to kind of emerge. Well, maybe Saturday was an example of, at least in terms of the hype and attention they're going to get, you know, teams like certainly Ohio State and dispatching Wisconsin, they were pretty dominant there in that game. Final score makes it seem like it was less so. But Ohio State completely demolished, you know, Wisconsin. You know, Michigan got another pretty easy win against Maryland. That in the Big Ten, teams like the Wolverines, teams like the Buckeyes are going to start getting more talk and more chatter. I think the Penn State's probably close to getting some of that too. And so for Georgia fans who've over the course of the last couple of weeks who've been just sort of feeling like Georgia's been getting too much hype, uh, you know, we said eventually there'd be some national teams to absorb some of that. And I think over the course of the next couple of weeks, you're going to see that in the Big Ten with Ohio State in particular. Just something to keep in mind if you sort of felt like Georgia's been getting too much hype as of late. And we'll make that cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Let me also give a shout out to my friends at Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. You can find them online, theatlantadivorceteam.com. That is theatlantadivorceteam.com. Divorce is not a fun topic. But for many of you, it is a reality. And so your situation can be made better. Your chance for a happier next season of your life made more likely by the advocate you trust to walk with you through this difficult chapter here right now. So that is what our friends at Meriwether and Tharp are all about. Your source for Georgia divorce. You can find them online at the Atlanta Divorce Team.com. All right. Dog Nation Daily presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia today. Bad game for the dogs. I think pretty much everybody agrees on that. The severity is where you get some you know, differences in opinion. But at a baseline level, Georgia did not play well against Kent State on Saturday. However, that does not mean there weren't some good things from the game. And for Georgia, for a second consecutive week, one of the big positives is Brock Bowers. And I just find it to be fascinating. I, I felt like we spent an entire offseason around here trying to remind people that Bowers is – regardless of position one of the best pass catchers in all the sport you want to call him a tight end you can but compare him to other wide receivers if you want to there aren't you know really any you know playmaking you know guys in college football right now that I think are clearly demonstrably better than what Bowers is for Georgia and once again on Saturday we were reminded of that Kirby Smart was talking about Bowers a little bit in the post-game press conference and he had plenty to say this is Kirby on another showcase day for the tight end Brock Bowers here's Kirby yeah what a weapon he is what a tough character he is uh, he, he makes you defend the whole 53 right so when he comes in motion the expectation is I got to stop the sideline and it loosens them up inside for some some softer runs too you know when you run for 250 and throw for 250 or something like that you're doing something right I mean, I know you, you don't see can't look at the big picture in college football but is there a player more dynamic right now than Brock I, I, you just said it. I don't know that there is because I don't see, I don't get to see it. You know, I don't feel like I've seen many games this year, but it's hard for me ever to do comparison. But for what he does, I, mean, I don't think people understand what an incredible blocker he is. And he doesn't get to do that that much. The other incredible player out there is, is Darnell. You know, if you go back and look at Brock's biggest plays this year, Darnell's been a big part of that. And uh, I was so proud and happy to see him. You know, the first play of the game, he's wide open, and the play was to go to him. And Stetson took a shot, being aggressive, and Darnell was there. The very next play, Darnell, I mean, uh, Brock gets a touchdown, and Darnell's celebrating. He's the first one in the end zone to go celebrate with him, and his block sprung him. And, uh, again, 
Jarnell's blocking combined with what Brock does uh, on the perimeter and, and even the catch Darnell made today was pretty incredible. So the package of those two, they complement each other really well. You've heard me say this before. Coaches try to say as little as possible during their press conferences, but if you let them talk long enough, they will eventually reveal what they're worried about. And this is the second consecutive week that Kirby's been asked a question about Brock Bowers, and he pivoted the answer back towards Darnell Washington. I think there's probably clearly a little bit of a concern about making everybody feel like they're involved in the situation here at Georgia, making everybody feel like they're a part of the story in the day and age in which you know guys just have other options. I think that Kirby's revealing to you a little bit of concern about that, especially in the case of Washington, who did choose to stay at Georgia and has apparently had a great you know, last several months and getting ready to be a very important part of this Georgia story here right now. And I get the reason why Smart feels the need to pivot to Darnell, which he's done two weeks in a row when being asked questions about Brock Bowers. I get all of that. But let's also stop and just appreciate for a moment just how special Brock Bowers truly is. And I still feel like that to a degree he's underappreciated. I think one of these days when we look back on this era of Georgia football, you know, it includes at least one national championship. It may include more. But I think from the perspective of the future, we may look back on this past and say, this was kind of the Brock Bowers era at Georgia. This is by far and away the most dynamic offensive weapon that Smart has had, I think, since since uh, being the UGA coach, at least in terms of primary pass catchers. That's definitely true. This is a special football player. And, you know, who's more worthy of Heisman consideration, Stetson or Brock or something like that? I mean, you know, I'm not that interested in having that debate right now. That's more we're kind of hashtag go for two and 22. If Georgia wins the title, all that will kind of work itself out. But no matter what kind of awards he does or doesn't get, Brock Bowers is a really, really special player. He is playing at a level that most players, whether it be on this team or somebody else's team, they just can't really aspire to. That that when it really matters, when Georgia needs it most, Bowers is going to be the guy they're going to have to lean on. And he could have to a little bit of a slow start. You didn't see a ton of him against uh, Oregon or Sanford, but you've seen plenty of him the last couple of weeks, and it's been very creative ways in which he's been used. Credit Todd Munkin for that. This is a special player, and – if this is a special offense, which I think it has the the real makings of being, then you better believe Brock Bowers is going to continue to be a huge part of the story as the season rolls along. All right, we'll wrap up today with a couple of golden shoes. Uh, one piece of news we didn't mention, but we'll let the golden shoe lead us into this. Uh, Georgia Tech has fired its football coach, Jeff Collins. Ken Segura, great reporting on this yesterday for our friends of the AJC. And a lot of you will remember the Collins era, including our buddy Mike the Mad Dog, who says Jeff Collins won't be unemployed for very long, showing him off here as a uh, cook behind the uh, scene there at the Waffle House. First of all, uh, I love the Waffle House, and I can promise you their cooks are working harder and doing far better at their job than Jeff Collins ever did at his job. By the way, uh, Collins never coached a game at Sanford Stadium. What a weird era that was for him uh, at Tech Football. So... Instead of 404 takeover, it's more of a 404 do-over now. And Tech's now looking for a new football coach. We'll see if they call Dion. I don't know. Uh, another golden shoe here there as well. Uh, our buddy Thad Stokes, who always has some good stuff, says, I've done the math. If we win every game 39-22, it's still going to mean a repeat for the dogs. Hashtag go dogs. Uh, he uh, uh, shouts out Stetson Bennett and me and that. And Thad, you are absolutely right. And uh, Stetson Bennett reminding you to relax. So uh, Georgia fans still feeling good undefeated although not a great game against the golden flashes there on saturday but you know, let me tell you who has it even worse that is those lousy stinking gators they lost to tennessee on saturday they got more losses coming they've already lost twice here this year and it's been five thousand nine days since they've won a national championship and 33 days from right now dogs back in jacksonville beating up 
on those lousy, stinking gators again. That is our Gator Hater Countdown. And don't forget, by the way, you can go to the Dog Nation store, top of the page of dognation.com. Get one of your Eddie the Blind Squirrel t-shirts. Get a lousy, stinking gators t-shirt. It's all there for you. You can check that out today. We'll see you tomorrow on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. And on the podcast, I'm going to have the R.S. Sanders podcast cool down. We'll take your comments here and let you weigh in on anything as it relates to uh, the Georgia Bulldogs coming off the uh, game there on Saturday. A lot of this coming via Twitter at Dog Nation Daily. Uh, I want to um, – Will Reed points out on Twitter that he thought that Kirby's halftime interview was almost uh, – I should say sideline interview after the game was almost giddy in terms of – I guess being happy, he felt like he had something to kind of coach into now and kind of use that game as fodder. And, you know, uh, Will Reed says it was gleeful, almost gleeful uh, sideline interview there on Monday. And I, I think I heard some other folks who were kind of saying the same thing, that they felt like um, that Kirby seemed really pleased to have a bad game to use as fodder to kind of, you know, coach these guys up the way that he wants to. Maybe that's the case. Tim Collins also mentioning the possibility – that Deion Sanders could be in play for Georgia Tech. I, you know, I wonder. I think that eventually Deion Sanders is going to coach in the Power Five somewhere. He's going to certainly have the opportunity to do that. You kind of wonder if Tech is the right marriage there on that. The city would make you believe that it is because obviously Deion's got a lot of affection for Atlanta. Uh, I just wonder. I, I wonder. Um, I wonder how good of a marriage that would possibly be. Uh, Shark Man on the subject of Lad McConkey. <laughs> tagging the fbi saying somebody got to lad for the game that he had it was one of those type of deals where you were just left to be left you know try to figure out exactly what in the world was going on with a guy like that playing so poorly but you know kirby said after the game he loves him and gonna uh, support him and i think that those of us will kind of do the uh, same thing there on all of that um let's see what else is going on Charles Pearson says, every year a team struggles. Sometimes adversity is good. Reset. Let's go, Dog Nation. We're national champions and rolling. So Charles feeling really good about that. Uh, Travis Fountain asking about Kendall Milton. Yeah, I mean, I think you do want to see more from Milton right now. I think you want to see more from the Georgia running game overall, but I think you want to see more from from Milton in particular. I I, I do. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. I think that's probably fair. Nicole, and I mentioned this in the postgame show on Saturday, um, she kind of uh, got on me saying, are you going to call up this defense? Are you going to keep – touting this team as untouchable because they won the national championship last year i've said they were untouchable but i do think this team is capable of still being the best team in the country this year and as i said before capable of even being better than they were last year you know perfection is not the standard but in terms of issues with the georgia defense i don't think it took this game on saturday for us to see they had some issues we've been talking about those now for the last couple of weeks we even talked about them on friday's show so uh your overall point's a correct one that hey, you know, for Georgia to be the best at the end of the year, it needs to be better then than it is now. But we kind of already knew that was true uh, to begin with there on that. Uh, Chris, who goes by GoDogs8419 on Twitter, also pointing out that, you know, last year you look at Georgia against teams like Vanderbilt or Charleston Southern or UAB, and there wasn't the letdown against lesser competition the way that it seems like there's been this year. And I think that's a a fair difference to point out that maybe that team just had more veteran leadership that made games like that less possible georgia did play you know pretty lousy on defense against alabama in the sec championship and as i mentioned in the show a couple times the offense didn't probably show up last year either so you know last year's team didn't exactly achieve the standard of perfection but certainly it was way better against you know non-competitive opponents than than georgia's been so far this year i don't deny that necessarily uh all right so good comments thanks for being here 
We will also see you back here tomorrow for our R.S. Andrews podcast cool down after the show and invite you to check out R.S. Andrews online for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. They'll show up on time. They'll do the work that's promised, the price that's promised. You can trust R.S. Andrews and all of that. We will see you then. Uh, Dog Nation Daily presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. Talk to you tomorrow, everybody.